Welcome to The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion Podcast. I'm Danielle Rudeutchen. Each episode features a conversation with a creative mind about the things that inspire them or that have given their life meaning in some way. From books, to art, to a piece of jewellery, these objects are collected into a cabinet which resides in physical form in the attic at 5 Carlos Place, the Matches Fashion Townhouse in London. Today I'm speaking to photographer Mario Sorrenti. Born in Naples, he moved to New York as a child where he spent his time skateboarding and making graffiti. As a teenage model, he met a girl called Kate Moss and the two caused waves in the fashion industry with his photographs of her for Calvin Klein's Obsession ad campaign. He spoke to me about his new book of photographs of Kate, Life in 90s New York, and the five things that inspire him most in life. Hi Mario. Hello. Thanks for coming on the Collector's House podcast. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. How you like how do you like London? I love London. I uh I used to live here back in the 90s, so it's nice to be back. It's changed a lot London actually since the 90s. It's I know much more uh international looking. Yeah. yeah. Building works everywhere. Yeah. But it's like New York, right? I mean, New York has changed dramatically. I mean, it's now New York to me looks like a shopping mall. Basically, it's not even a city anymore. Yeah. You moved there when you were ten, is that right? I was ten years old, and I moved there with uh, my mother and my brother and my sister, and uh, we lived in uh, a little apartment in Gramercy Park, and. That's where my New York adventure began. And you moved from Naples? From Naples, Italy. So how has New York changed? What are the main... What was it like growing up then? Well, New York was kind of, you know, in the the 80s, early 80s, New York was kind of a tough place. It was the kind of place that you had to watch your back when you were walking down the street and... um, you know, there was a lot of poverty and there were a lot of abandoned buildings and um, you never you walked down the street and you never looked at anybody in the eyes and stuff. And you kind of were taught to be, to never c- connect with anybody, you know. And, um, and it was a tough place and, you know, but I was, Naples is a tough place too. So for me, it was just, it wasn't that big of a deal. Um, and I mean, I enjoyed it a lot. It was really fun. I loved it actually, because there was a lot more, uh, there was a lot more real and a lot more culture and you could really feel the, the people and, you know, it was really, I mean, it's, it's still diversified and stuff, but like, I think now they're, you know, you're in the city and you're totally safe and only if you're like, have make you know a lot of money you can afford to live in the city you know all all those people have been pushed out to the suburbs or you know brooklyn or queens or you know so do you feel like the creative spark that's at the expense of the creativity that was there in the 70s 80s 90s i grew up in new york in the 80s and we all like would go around and 
write graffiti all over did the you place. have a tag yeah i did yeah it, my tag tags you kind of tags were sort of like i had a tag and it was a it was a suggestion you know you have your friends and they're like write this write that no 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 you should be this you should be that so you kind of like and then you realize that it's about the letters and so you start putting letters together that flow really well and so my tag ended up being Hest, H-E-S-T, and um, I just really liked the way the letters worked together. And, you know, and basically then once my tag was Hest, um, I spent the whole in my every day, every hour, like just practicing those letters, writing those letters on everything, on every notebook, on every piece of paper, on just you know everywhere and then you would go and then you would tag up the streets and subways and everything so um it just you know it'd be and then you meet people and people and the graffiti culture is amazing because you're really writing graffiti for yourself and a graffiti culture and nobody else so people graffiti writers are constantly paying attention to walls and graffiti and, and, and spots and who's new and who's writing and who is a king and who's up all over the place and who's got style and who's a toy and this and that. So the, the culture is really amazing. And uh, that became a, a huge part of my life when I was a teenager um, with skateboarding as well. Do you think graffiti's still got that subversive edge to it? Or is it because it's sort of become commodified in a way, you could say, when you see yeah. it everywhere in pop, in pop culture and branding? It's used a lot in branding. Now. Yeah, I mean, it's changed. It's it's I, I've I've seen. I mean, a lot of the kids that I grew up writing graffiti with, like Reese, was was somebody that actually I grew up with, who's quite a well known graffiti writer, and he took me to my first layup and stuff. And um, he's now doing amazing artwork, and I, I've seen a lot of graffiti artists go to the art and uh, to the art world and become artists, which which is incredible to see that mm -hmm. transformation. Also, I've seen graffiti writers capitalize on graffiti itself by making markers or graffiti or, or graffiti spray paint cans where, you know, back then we were just racking and going to uh, places and, uh, you know, using like Rust-Oleum or uh, Krylon and stuff like that. Now there seems to be all of this graffiti uh, spray paint cans with, you know, I don't know, I think, is it Crink that does all the markers and stuff? And um, so it's, they've capitalized on it, which is amazing that. And then this podcast is a collector's house where we talk about five things that you put into the cabinet, which is in the attic at Five Carlos Place. And um, I think you said you'd put graffiti in there. Yeah. How would we represent it? Would it be... Is there a piece of graffiti, is there a photograph of some of the graffiti you've done? Or is there a particular artist you that means something to you? Well, it was, it was, it, graffiti and street culture and growing up in New York at that time had a huge impact on me because that's what I grew up in and that's what I learned and that is, you know, and I wrote graffiti all the way until I was like 16, 17 years old and stuff. So that's a big part of me. And mainly the street culture and that kind of the, the friendships that I made and the camaraderie. And then I did do 
some self-portraits where I was writing graffiti and stuff. And um, and, and just the, the street culture is the really what has stuck with me the most and stuff. And it's a big part still of, of the photographs that I do and, and, and the, what I like to represent. You mentioned skateboarding. Skateboarding was something else as well. That actually, I used to skateboard in Italy, and uh, you know, my mom uh, is half Italian and half American. And when I was like maybe six years old, seven years old, she went to America and she brought me back a skateboard, and uh, just kind of like I fell in love with it. And I had a little gang of skateboarders in my neighborhood of like three, four kids and stuff, and we just used to skateboard all over the place. And then. When I moved to New York, you know, that was another thing as well. There was incredible, the skateboard culture in New York was really, really special, especially that it was, it was interesting because it was a time where skateboarding, all the skateboarding magazines at the time that we were buying, it was all about riding bowls and half pipes and ramps. And growing up in New York, you didn't have that. So we were like, skating around the streets and jumping on benches and like skating on curbs and trying to create tricks and, and things with our environment. And I, I really think, you know, street skating came from that, those kind of like urban environments and, uh, and just the need, not, not having half pipes and not having bowls and the need to be creative again and inventing tricks and things and stuff like that. And also the culture the way to dress and it was you know um it was amazing and it, it that's a big part of me as well and you know i still skateboarded until i was in you know until a couple of years ago and then i broke my foot and you know a lot of my friends are skateboarders and stuff they were you know pretty incredible people from back then and um, you know, Mark Gonzalez and uh, Steve Olson, and who is an incredible, Mark Gonzalez and Steve are both amazing artists and stuff. And uh, so it's, it's nice to, you know, still today, my, my son skateboards all the time now, which is amazing. And to see him like practicing variations of the tricks that I used to do when I was a kid and stuff. And Is there still that same, is, is the culture still similar? I don't know. I don't really know that much because I'm not I'm not directly involved with that as much anymore. I think it's still similar. I think I, you know my son still goes to parks and with his friends and they skate around and you know they trash around the uh, the city and stuff. And I mean that's what we used to do is just like all hang out and then go skating from one spot to the next and like just finding areas in the city that. Um, you know that you're like oh that's a cool spot let's hit that it always it, it this it always reminds me of that film it always reminds me of that film kids that came out in was it in the 90s yeah um yeah. was that what it was like Cause yeah it felt so a real. little bit yeah it was like that actually actually we were when that came out i think i was like one in my early 20s and I remember going to see that film and I love Larry Clark and I loved his photographs and um but thinking yeah like I mean 
maybe we were a little bit tougher actually oh really yeah than those kids (laughs) (laughs) um but it was a pretty good depiction you know i think with every generation i mean that was actually those kids were the generation after us in a way so to me they i remember i watched that film and to me they just seemed terrifying i just remember they would seem so cool it was just like if you were even tougher than they were (laughs) well we grew up in a tougher new york so you had to be tougher you know, and, and that generation was more my brother's generation, who he, he actually was friends with uh, Harold and some of the kids in that film and stuff. And I, I knew Harmony. I was friends with Harmony and uh, Chloe and stuff. And That's Harmony, Corrine. Corrine, he yeah. Made, was he, yeah, he was, he he was, was the main he wrote, character. He wrote the film. And, uh, and Chloe was the main character, the girl in the film and stuff. But they were more my brother's generation. They were younger. And that gener- that my brother's generation, which was about, you know, five years later, um, they already were learning how to capitalize on... It was like the beginning of kids that they were sussing out, like, what to do with street culture and stuff and how to capitalize on like it. self-branding self-branding it's almost like, exactly so that's really interesting it's almost like kind of pre-empting the whole social media it was thing. that it was and it's funny my brother started a t-shirt company called the new shit and they had done all of these uh t-shirts they were like models suck and they were like super popular and they were everywhere and and they were making money and and it was kind of beyond what we would have ever thought of in a way because we were just like hey let's just write graffiti and skate around and that's what we love to do and we didn't think about making money off of it at all and stuff and then i think with every generation even after my brother's generation is just like people became more savvy and um you know and really capitalized on the whole street culture thing when did you become aware of photography and photographers and photography as a profession I started taking pictures when I was 18 and before that I want I wanted to be a painter and I wanted to um you know it was my dream to follow in my father's footsteps and paint and do I loved sculpture as well that was really what I wanted to focus on and um is that what your father did my father was uh he's an oil painter he's a figurative painter and I met uh, these two students that were doing photography at ICP, and we were having dinner one night in their loft downtown, and they had a dark room in their place. Um, and they were like, oh, take some pictures, and I t- we took some pictures at dinner, and then we developed the film right after dinner, and then we went straight from developing the film into the dark room. And just that moment where I saw the image coming up in the developer, I was like, wow, what is this? This is incredible, you know? And then I just started, I was like, can I borrow your camera? And, you know, I started taking pictures and I was taking pictures of my friends who were like, you know, writing graffiti and this and that. And I very quickly was like, I have to know more about photography. So I started looking at books and you know they were studying photography so they had books in their house about photography and stuff and like you know uh you know bruce davidson and um 
um, Bruce Weber and um, you know so I was getting introduced I guess I should have signed up for at ICP instead I was going to uh, SVA I was taking night classes at SVA for um, painting and sculpture and then I was working during the day in my mother's office who had a small advertising agency in fashion at the time my mom was like obviously worried about how I was gonna support myself and she was like you should do photography you know you can be a photographer you can make money and I was like I don't want to be a photographer no way like photography is not uh, you know it's not what I'm into and, and but then when I discovered when I discovered it I was like wow photography is amazing and just started hanging out with these girls all the time they were going to uh, photo school I to ICP and they had a dark room and the next thing I know I was like do you guys mind if I stay here with you because you know so I kind of just brought some clothes over to their house and and it was really amazing little group of friends and it was all about photography and they were documentary photographers and the ethics of documentary photography and you know and my friend decided that she was going to document men and that was going to be her uh her sort of life journey and she she actually did she's she's done several books on um you know on men and like the red cross and in the army and uh boxers and so she's dedicated her life to photographing men which, and in beautiful photographs in crowd Georgia Georgia Fiora she's Italian and um, so that was the beginning of my photography education and then I went and bought my own camera and uh, just started taking pictures all the time and then I built my own dark room and, and then came to London and then somehow during that time I was not making any money I hated my job working in this office I hated school so I dropped out of school I quit my job and I started modeling you know I was like let me try this thing and was making a little bit of money modeling and stuff and um, at one point my agency was like oh you know you should go to Europe and try modeling in Europe and I was like okay great that sounds like fun and so I packed some clothes, my camera, and I came here to London. It was the first place that I came to. So you came to London. So now we're talking about, is it like early 90s at this point? It was, yeah, like 1991. Okay. Yeah. And that's the point when you met Kate Moss? Yeah. Came, well, I think I was here already for about, maybe it was 90 that I came. It was, I was already in London for about a year or maybe Where, six months. Whereabouts in London were you living? Oh, Jesus, Wherever. I lived everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the incredible thing about London that I just was in, kind of amazing is that you could rent a little room in somebody's house that you didn't know, which is not something that was hap happens in New York. And it wasn't happening back then in New York and stuff. So I just lived in everybody's houses. At one point, I was renting a couch <laughs> on somebody's in living room and stuff, you know, and um, a little, you know, I was, at one point I was really north out of London. I lived with this really cool guy who's an art director 
and uh, I lived with his family there for like maybe six months, and then I moved back into London, like uh, west on the West End near Labrook Grove and stuff, and you know, a little bit all over the place, kind of changing all the time. And then, so I met Kate on a modeling job, and uh, just was like, wow. Um, you know, and, and I was, you know, when I kind of was like, oh my God, I was like kind of taken by her right away. She was really funny and sweet and beautiful and, you know, quirky and funny. And so, and I get like, at this point she was like, what, 17 or something? She, she was 17. She I was 19 years old. She wasn't she was, well known or. No, she was like, you know, we, she was told like maybe she'd done just a few modeling jobs and stuff i think she had done a face cover already i think with mark Lebon or something or with corin day she had done something with corin day as well but she was really not known at all um and i don't think modeling was really like her something that she was i mean she was doing it but it wasn't like oh i'm a model it was gonna stuff. lead to yeah, something else you know yeah. And so we met and then, you know, it was a really sweet day and stuff. And then I never, I had, didn't see her again for, I don't know, a few months. I thought, you know, like, oh, but we had a friend in common who, who was kind of seeing, dating her or seeing her kind of. So I would hear about her every once in a while. And then dur like during the summer, uh, we met again at a party and then we just started hanging out after that all the time and then several months after that it, i'm like i get very shy when i like somebody so it took me a really you know it took it took a while to get the courage up to ask her out and be like hey will you be my, my girlfriend <laughs> sweet <laughs> and can you tell the story about the what the the trip that led to the um, Calvin Klein assignment. Well, that was a bit later and stuff because what happened? You know, we basically so just really quickly like we started going out. She came to New York with me. Um, to you know, met my mom and stuff. I went to Croydon, hanging out, met her mom, and we stayed at her house because we were looking for a place to stay. We had nowhere to live. She was staying with me on that couch for a brief moment as well, and she was hiding, like, because we couldn't let uh, the the people know that she was staying there with me and stuff. And then <laughs> um, we met, uh, at one point we met Mark LeBon and Camilla uh, Arthur, and we ended up renting a little apartment in their house and then slowly she started getting more jobs and she was going to New York working for Harper's Bazaar and stuff and um, and it was kind of like amazing and then I started getting, I met uh, an art director called Phil Bicker who had seen my, who was the art director at The Face and he'd seen some of my photographs through model cards and model portfolios that I was like photographing models and stuff like that and he was like oh come and see me 
So I went to see him and then he introduced me to an agent and then very quickly within the span of like maybe four or five months, I started shooting and working and, you know, he introduced me to Kim Sion and then things just started to happen really quickly. I did a story for The Face and then I was working for like Harper's and Queen and British L and next thing I know, um, it was Harper's Bazaar in New York and Kate was working at Harper's Bazaar and Fabian Barron was the art director there and Fabian called me up one night and he was like oh how would you you know we really like what you do would you like to have a contract for Harper's Bazaar and I was like oh my god this is crazy okay yeah that's on so that everything was kind of catapulting for both Kate and I at the same time you know she was doing Harper's Bazaar covers and also David Sims, and it was like David Sims was working, and then Corin Day. So, and and at the time we were all hanging out together, and things were just happening very quickly, you know, for all of us. And next thing I know, I'm in New York, and um, Kate and I had gone on vacation together, and I, you know, I was taking pictures of Kate all the time. Like, you know, obviously I was taking pictures of everything and everybody all the time. And um, Fabian Barron had seen some of the photographs that I'd done of Kate um, on vacation. And he was like, oh, you should really show these to Calvin Klein. We're working on a project and I think he'd be really interested in seeing this. So I brought my diary up there and I showed him like the pictures of Kate and stuff. And Kate had already done a jeans campaign, I think, for Calvin Klein at that moment. And Calvin was like, oh, these are great, blah, blah, blah. Can you do this for us? Um, and I was like, yeah, sure. And he was like, can you shoot a film as well? And I was like, well, I've never done that, but I don't see why not. I mean, it's just exposing film. It's the same thing as taking pictures, you know. Um, so Calvin Klein kind of paid for me to do like a two-week crash course on loading a Bolex and, you know, using uh, a Bolex, a 16 millimeter camera. And then just sent us off to, uh, you know, I told Calvin, I was like, just sent Kate and I on an island somewhere and, you know, I'll take pictures and we'll do the pictures. So then the process became like, okay, where do you want to do it? And I was like, this is what I need. I need like a, a little shack on the beach with distressed walls. And so they sent somebody out looking for that. And then they found this place on Josvendijk. And it was great because it didn't have a roof on the house. So I was able to cover the whole entire roof with a, with a silk so that the light in the house was always beautiful and soft. And, and then I was like, what do I need? I need a couch. I need a mirror. I need a bed and uh and that's it you know so they sent us off and we spent a week there shooting filming shooting con loads just you know and then we would you know sit on the beach and uh chill out and you know it was really important to me that kate would be tan and looking great and stuff so like i think the first day the first two or three days all we did is just lay on the beach and do nothing um and and then afterwards i think this was calvin's way of like making sure that what we were doing was uh going to work for their brand on an island close to where we were camped out and set up 
um, they set up like a big psych and had like a big sound crew and uh, so they you know after a week there we went to this other island and then we did like all the sound filming and more pictures over there and stuff like that on this big black psych and stuff that um, you know again I had set up and requested and and then pictures done everybody's happy um we print all the photographs send them in everything is great and next thing i know it's like you know times square like huge billboards of kate um naked on the couch and all you know buses everywhere and stuff and i think it was it was quite a shock for everybody and for me and for kate and and for all sorts of people (laughs) How did your crew, I was just thinking because, you know, just talking, having spoken about growing up in New York and hanging out with skateboarders and graffiti and suddenly you're up there on Times Square. That must have felt weird. Yeah, it was weird. And I was still connected to a lot of my friends and seeing a lot of my friends. It was this weird double life I was living in a way like with one foot still trying to stay with my friends and crew and all of that stuff and then you know more than one foot in fashion in the fashion world and and also growing up very quickly you know I'm 21 years old 20 years old at this point and stuff and also I'm watching a lot of my close friends die and go to jail and all of this stuff so I'm kind of thinking like well that's I don't want to end up like that and if I stay in this world that's a big chance and stuff so I kind of at one point I was like well you know what this is my life and I'm gonna go for it and um you know but still you know I've always had like this weird love hate relationship with fashion and stuff where I'm always I love what I do but then there's a whole aspect of it that always I'm like kind of you know it's not who I am either in a way and stuff and um so at that time especially you know I was like young and uh you know wanted to be an artist and I was fighting you know and and, and also it that time was crazy because at that point after the obsession stuff we were like catapulted into like I was working all the time I was shooting all sorts of campaigns like everything and um it was more it became a time where instead of making decisions about what you wanted to do you were reacting to what you were being offered and they were all incredible offers and it was you couldn't really say no and um amazing opportunities and so i just kind of got totally sucked into it and you know started doing a lot of Mm -hmm. fashion and and trying to figure out and also learning about photography too because i was never um you know prop i never went to school for it i was never properly educated on photography i was teaching myself all the time i got obsessed with buying books um you know i was constantly trying to learn color and then you know so at the time i was only shooting black and white and everybody wanted color pictures so i was like oh, i have to figure out now how what is my color picture how am, am i going to take color pictures and um so I was doing a lot of research and looking at paintings and, you know. So the book that you, that's just, of yours, that's just come out, which is called Kate. So it's photos from that time. It's and 
Are they photos from the campaign? or, or No. They... Well, there is a couple of pictures that I did on the off time. You know, basically we had um, most of the photographs in the book are from those first three, those three years that Kate and I were together. And, and, and they've never been published. They've never until been now. published. I mean, maybe two or three had been seen before that I had printed and they were out. They had been published in some magazines like that and stuff. And then when Kate did her book, she asked me for some photographs and I gave her a few photos. Um, but the majority of them have never really been seen before. And I hadn't seen them in a really long time. And my wife was working on my archive and digitizing my archive about, you know, eight or eight years ago. And she came across all the film and she put everything in a timeline. And she was like, this stuff is really beautiful. You should um, you should look at it. You know, you should really look at it and, um, and do something with it. And then, you know... I never wanted to do that because I didn't really want to capitalize on that at all and stuff. And then, you know, I started looking through the pictures and I was like, oh, wow, this is kind of cool. And then I showed the photographs to uh, Dennis Friedman, who was a who's an art, a creative director that I worked with for years at W Magazine, who had a really close uh, relationship with and um, creative relationship. And... Um, he saw them and he just freaked out. He was like, you have to make a book on these. These are, you know, besides the point of them being Kate, these are really beautiful uh, photographs and stuff. And so then, you know, I was like, okay, still very reluctant and loose about it. And we slowly, I was like, okay, well, we'll let's start editing and see like what comes of it, you know? And, you know, three years passed and we were editing a little bit here and there. And then... I saw Kate and I told her, I was like, look, I'd really like to do a book. And uh, she was like, yeah, okay, cool. You know, just show me what the pictures are going to be and stuff. And and then um, Dennis came to me and was like, you know, I'm working with this um, publishing company called Fiden. They're great. Uh, they would be really interested and I think this would be the right place for them. So then we really kicked in the editing and started putting everything together. And that's when all of a sudden we were like, wow, um, from a foot photography point of view, I think that there's something really interesting here. And also from, you know, I mean, 30 years after you start to think about your career a little bit and, you know, you're like, well, that's an interesting place, you know, to start. And um, so, yeah, we, we put the pictures, we started printing and stuff. It's a beautiful product as well. I like the grey. I had a look through the book and I like the grey binding. It's really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and then just going back to the things that you chose that you put into the into the your, your fa favorite things. Um, you mentioned a Leica camera. Yeah, um, it was. I mean, it was a Leica camera, thirty-five M six, and it was. You know, it's kind of like the Rolls Royce of cameras, and it. At what point did you start using that? Well, I started using that when I could afford it. <laughs> <laughs> when was that? And it was probably I got it when I was like twenty-three years old, twenty-two, twenty-three years old, and it was weird because it was, it's it's like. Um, it's a viewfinder camera, so the way you're looking through the camera is different. And I had to, 
and, but it's beautiful because it's so quiet and I love the idea of taking pictures and not being so obvious about it and stuff and and it was such a beautiful little camera and it is like an incredible camera I still have it and um so basically I started carrying that camera around with me everywhere and documenting everything and I had it and it was great because it was little and I could wear it under my jacket and I could constantly take it around and basically for the next you know 10 years I carried it around with me and took pictures of everything obsessively documenting and then we I started doing road trips across America and um, taking pictures of America and kids and everywhere and stuff so I've done and 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 I those that was an I think is a really important time in my life you know my 20s and I documented most of my 20s on that camera and stuff so um, and I still have it today and and my daughter is taking pictures and you know and she's gonna be 18 so I was thinking well maybe when she's 18 she's gonna get she that camera because <laughs> she's shooting film now all the time and I don't shoot film anymore and stuff so yeah I was thinking about um, the difference between your commercial work and the non-commercial work um, and how you balance the two. Yeah. It, it became like a big mishmash of, of the two. So if you can imagine, I'm taking pictures constantly of everything and printing all these pictures, and then I'm working and shooting fashion, and my fashion style is starting to inspire my documentary photographs sort of pictures that I was doing on my own and then and then the things that I was seeing in real life and start to influence my fashion pictures so then at one point I just started creating this huge collage of photographs up on the wall to try and understand where I was and it just became like it just started to become a life of experiences and, and things and, and documenting this life of, of places and people and, and things and stuff. And then, so, and then I had this huge collage, you know, maybe like 20, 20 feet by 10 feet of prints and Polaroids and stuff. And, um, and kind of starting to realize that what I did really kind of existed somewhere between the world of fashion and art in some weird way, you know, um, and, you know, and being pulled back and forth between those two worlds. And so then I was approached by uh, Neville Wakefield at one point, and he was like, well, you know, I want you to do an exhibition with the small gallery in New York. Um, and what do you want to do? And I was like, well, why don't we just, I'd like to cover all the walls with, with the collage, you know? And, and then I was also doing diaries a lot at the time. And I was like painting in my diaries and using photographs and painting on top of the photographs and writing. So somehow what I was doing was this big collage of fashion and personal work and reportage and painting and writing and, um, just absorbing life and also um and also bring 
putting it back out there and stuff. And we did a show, and I plastered all four walls in the gallery with uh, Polaroids and prints and stuff and recreated this collage in this gallery. And then um, right before we took everything down, I documented the wall and in, with an 8 by 10 camera. And I was also like practicing with different formats at the time as well. And I was learning how to use a 4 by 5 camera and then an 8 by 10 camera. And so every time I used a different camera, sort of the discipline was different. And I would learn in, in my style of photography would slightly change. And my approach to it was different and stuff. You know, things were maybe slowed down dramatically when I was shooting 8 by 10. Um, much different from shooting um, with my Leica. And, you know, so that was a big collage from maybe when I was 23, 22, 23 years old till maybe I'm like 32, 34. 34 when I kind of stopped doing the diaries when I started to really think more singularly and, and focusing much much more on photography and, and the singular image and stuff mm -hmm. and, yeah. what's your studio like um, is it because I've I, you know I've read books about famous photographers in New York and I was thinking about like you know Avedon studio or the Maplethorpe studio and when I read about Avedon's studio, it was all, it's all about people come, celebrities coming and having lunch and a kind of a fabulous party scene <laughs> happening all the time. And he was this kind of, you know, very gregarious um, personality or Maplethorpe seemed to be much darker and more introverted and quieter. And I was just wondering how you like to work and what's the vibe like? Well, honestly, you know, my, when I got my studio, was a really big deal because it's not easy to have a studio in New York. Um, because of the cost? Or? Because of the cost and the space. And, you know, I originally, and before that I was in my loft and, you know, everything, everybody would come to my house and we would do pictures in my house and then I would take pictures and paste them on the walls. And that was a very, very creative open environment where everybody stopped in friends and it was you know a lot of street culture and artists and things and stuff and people would be coming in all the time and stuff and you know and then and it was also my my kids you know i was 27 years old when i had my my son and my daughter and uh and, and i met mary and we were you know creating a family in my loft where i was working and shooting and and painting and doing all of this stuff and then um so then finally I, I do my own studio which I wanted to be an extension of what was happening, you know, in at home, but didn't that didn't quite happen. It wasn't like as open and as creative as I wanted it to be. I mean it was creative but in a different way. It became much more professional and it was like a big white studio and people and then it was just a became like a a white box where to, to work and take pictures all the time and stuff. And it was a great space. Um, but it was, um, you know, I think it was, you know, it was mainly like, so then we moved, Mary and I and the kids moved out of the city. We, we moved into the Bronx. So, 
and then my kids went to school in the city so it almost became a base for my family in a way it was really weird because then all of a sudden the studio was just a place where the kids could come after school and hang out and you know we could be there and then uh, you know I would have shoots and jobs and we would shoot and then the kids would be there and then family was in and out of that and um, um, but in a much more formal way the the work became more formal for some reason it wasn't as loose anymore and um, you know I don't I don't think my studio was very glamorous it was just kind of like a good place to do shoots and a good place for my kids to come and uh, regroup after a day of school and and you said you know. that you put your family as one of your favorite things that you know in your cabinet of things yeah I mean family for me is very very important and also I mean for family for my family is very important I have to say because I think you know I'm, I'm Italian and my mother and my father and were you know grew up in a family environment and when I was little I was always at my grandmother's house and things and eating there every day and then so and then you still the, have family in Naples I do, yeah. My dad still lives in Naples. Still feel like stuff, a strong yeah. connection. Oh yeah, 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 totally. I mean, we try and go as much as possible and stuff. And that was like one of the first places I took Mary and and that I take my kids to just to, you know, see their roots and stuff. And um, and and my daughter has a huge connection with Naples. Naples now. She wants to go to school in Italy and, um, and also like. It's funny, you know, if you can imagine I'm like in my early 20s and I'm trying to figure out what, who am I as a photographer and trying to find uh, um, my subject or my style in a way. And at some point I realized, you know what, it's really, I'm, I'm my, my, I love photographing my family. And um, so that became really important to me also in, in, in my work, you know, documented my wife and uh, my family. I mean, just throughout all of our lives and stuff and constantly taking pictures of them and using them as, uh, you know, subjects in the photographs. And, um, you know, and if you look at my last book that I did called uh, Draw Blood for Proof, which is this huge collage of of my life is really a mixture of fashion and friends and family and and it all comes together in 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 like one big one expression i think and um so family is really important to me yeah. what do you think about just what you were saying about documenting things all the time with photographs what do you think about um the fact that everyone takes so many photos now I, someone told me yesterday that there were more photos taken in the last year than from when photography started wow. until the end of 2012. <sighs> wow. Yeah. It almost. Do you think it is it does it cheapen it or is it a nice way for people to be more creative? I think I think both. I think it's a nice way to people be more creative. I think you know I think photographs were much more considered. You know, having your photograph taken was kind of an event, you know, where today it's not and you just snapshots everywhere and people are taking pictures. When I was started taking pictures, it was uh, um, 
it was very considered, you know, like it was one or two rolls of film I'd be shooting. What am I shooting it? Where am I shooting it? Looking for the right light and stuff. Um, so it's changed a lot, photography today, considerably. Also, the style of photography has changed a lot. I think because everything is a snapshot, the idea of snapshot photography as a style has become really like a big thing and stuff, you know? I guess it represents our time. Mm. Yeah. What's the final thing you're going to put into your cabinet? Uh, uh, photography books. Um, I'm a huge collector of photography books, and um, they're very important to me. And it's the one thing that I've, you know, um, really. It's in my house, it's like nobody, you know, this is my thing and stuff, you know, and um, I mean, they're very important to me. And I think, you know, there is uh, one book in particular that was very important to me, and it's um, Bill Brandt, Perspective of Nudes. And um, I have like a, a, a first edition of that book. And, and when I found that book, it was kind of incredible to see how um, the discipline of photography, which is supposed to be a certain way, was all of a sudden completely taken apart and distorted. And all of a sudden, you know, you're, when you're printing black and white photography, you're supposed to think about the zone system and it's, you know, all, all the tonal range and stuff. And here's this photographer that's like completely blowing out all the whites and creating completely graphic images out of um and and also working with the nude figure and distorting the nude figure with the, with wide angle lenses and and perspective and all of these things and stuff and he's taking something that's supposed to be very pure and very respected and he's pulling it apart completely and creating something really new and exciting in in photography and and that was a big uh Conceptually, that was a big f w thing for me because it, it kind of said, you know what, like, you have to express yourself. And sometimes you have to completely break the rules in order to discover new things and stuff. And um, so that, would, that, that was important to me. Mm. That's great. Well, Mario, thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Yeah, it's same here. Pleasure. Thank you. That was an episode of The Collector's House, a Matches Fashion podcast. You can find more episodes and more about Five Carlos Place on the Matches Fashion website, and you can join the conversation on social media by searching for at Matches Fashion, at Matches Fashion Man, and the hashtag Five Carlos Place. Thanks for listening.